A content warning for our listeners, this episode contains discussion of gore, violence, and drug use. Welcome to Call Me Maker, your unofficial True Blood Rewatch podcast. We're your hosts, Simone Less and Michelle Martinelli, and why don't you come stay at my house? You know, just till you get back on your feet. One episode at a time, spoiler free. Today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 11, To Love is to Bury. This episode was both written and directed by Nancy Oliver. It's a special day. I know, because a woman wrote and directed this one. Yeah, she's also a supervising producer on the show, but this is the first time we've seen her with a writing or directing credit this season. (laughs) Take that, patriarchy. Okay. (laughs) Take that, patriarchy. Yeah, did it. Dismantled. Okay, but on the other end of things, like, Uh take that, patriarchy, but also, like, take that. It's Valentine's Day. It is Valentine's Day. Yeah, and I am with the two people I actually love most in the world. Whoa, am I going to cry? I'm feeling really vulnerable. Cry. Cry. I want to see you do it. Okay. They want to see you do it. Special guest. You're not supposed to talk yet, callers. Simone, help me tell the callers why we have a special guest here today with us. Because we can't do this alone and we need a man's help. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Patriarchy. Take that, Patriarchy. Sure. Um, Just kidding. Also, callers, this is the last episode before the season one finale. So we wanted to do something special for you. This episode is all about setting it up for our grand end to season one. And we want to know how our true blood virgins are doing those folks out there who are watching this for the very first time so we had to bring one on to talk with us noted virgin noted virgin (laughs) (laughs) and we thought who better to discuss this with us than our co-producer teo rap olsen Your official intro, Teo, is you might know Teo from some of his work as an on-camera actor, such as Sebastian Milton on The Walking Dead or Law & Order SVU, The Deuce, or that Super Bowl Bud Light commercial from COVID. But most notably for today, he's a proud supporter of the pod and my partner. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay, do you want me to ask I want, I'm nervous, so I want you to take it away as well. Why are you nervous? I don't know. Is this your first time meeting? I actually have a crush on Teo. <laughs> oh um, my God, should yeah. I tell him for you? <laughs> Teo. What's, what's up? <laughs> Michelle? Stop. No, I'm going to... Guys, wait, stop. Which, which one's Michelle? <laughs> you know, like... Like pretty red hair. The one with the hair? The one with the hair. Big hair. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Big hair is my identifier. (laughs) You've got a lot of hair. I do. I'm shaggy right now. She needs to If you become like a radio disc jockey, that should be your like name. (laughs) This is big hair Michelle in the morning. (laughs) Wait, I love it. It's very Dolly Parton. Simone, (laughs) ask our guest a question. (laughs) (laughs) What do you like? No, let's make it about the pod, shall Mm -hmm. we? And the show. 
Teo, how did you come into True Blood? That's a really good question. It had a lot to do with actually the writing. Are you guys fucking kidding me? <laughs> I came to it because you guys started a podcast. Okay, okay, okay. I guess. I guess. How did I come to it? Wait, Michelle thing- came home and said, I really like this TV show and I'm going to make a podcast about it. I'd be kind of an a-hole if I wasn't listening and watching. Wait, you know what's so funny though is I believed that launch. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I know the answer to the question. I wanted to explore if maybe you had a relationship to the material prior, but you, you obviously did not. Okay then, okay, then I guess the better question is, can you tell the callers what your role is as our co-producer here on the pod? Yeah, I would say before you started this, I was the one with the most extensive knowledge on audio. And so a big thing was, <laughs> as I'm staring at the interface board, helping to set things up, going through a lot of what the equipment would be needed for, the specs. I mean, I would say getting that off the ground. At that point, though, I do kind of defer to you guys. You've been amazing. I would say once in a while coming in and having very near-death experiences with our relationship over Wait, this. Wait, that's so funny because I would not describe your role like that at all. Um, really? You're like, <laughs> you don't do anything. <laughs> no, no, no. For sure, like, Teo has a background in voiceover, so he taught me a lot as well. But it was really Ben Hosley of Blank Check who... I feel like told me this is exactly what you need to do to get this started. But since we've been started for this entire season, anytime I've run into a problem, I've obviously been too scared to approach Ben because he's a big boy with a real big boy mm-hmm. job and podcast. And, and so I'm a little boy. <laughs> yeah. And so anytime <laughs> we've had an issue, I've come running and crying to you and almost destroyed our relationship over it because some say that I'm not the easiest to work with that I <laughs> get frustrated. Okay. Why feels- are you laughing, Simone? Why are you Um, because the three of us are in a room right now and you've decided to, instead of looking at Teo and saying you're not the easiest to work with, you're looking me directly in my eyeballs. I was going to say this too. You made direct eye contact with Simone as you said that. I know what you're looking for out of me and I'll affirm you, but off the mic. (laughs) Okay. 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 So we've covered what your relationship to True Blood was prior. None. What you do on this? What's podcast. your relationship what to are you doing here? <laughs> your relationship to this podcast? Should is I start crisis counseling? management? What did you say? Should I start counseling? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, wait. Why does everybody say we need that? <laughs> That's just because of me and my mentee health yeah, stuff. You know okay. Okay. Well, then maybe the better question is this one here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Well, what has your experience been like listening along to the pod in your viewing of this? Uh, honestly, I mean, like really, really good. I obviously came to the show because you guys were making this. I've listened to a couple like other podcasts of shows that I've always really loved, but those are normally very much in postmortem. Like I, I wasn't watching the show for the first time as I was listening to the podcast. And so there's something very fun and interactive about finishing the episode and then knowing like later that day I'm going to start a podcast and listen to you guys discuss exactly I mean the finite details that and a lot of it that I wouldn't have necessarily picked up on on the first watch so it feels like it gives me a deeper dive into any individual episode oh thank you honey thanks how'd I do 
That was good. That was very good. I mean, that's also why I love rewatch podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's probably one of my favorite genre of podcasts. Personally, I listen to quite a few of them because I get really hyper fixated on different TV shows or movies and things as I'm consuming them. And I want to discuss them. And I don't always have folks around me readily available who have also recently seen the thing. So it gives me this lovely parasocial relationship where I feel like I get to dive into the fandom or continue exploring the universe with other people. Well, and it's so difficult when the show ended a decade ago, yeah. you know? It's like hard to, to find those, those Shut folks. Shut the fuck up. You are literally fired. Okay, guys. Um, <laughs> no, so we, as Michelle mentioned, we're at the penultimate episode mm-hmm. and it's it's coming to a head, you know, people, people are dying left and right. Spoiler alert. We'll get to that later for this episode, but- Who's your money on for the killer in Bonton? Oof. Uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one. This is difficult. I texted Michelle after I guess it's episode ten. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it would be when they have the like engagement party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the ugh, terrible with names, but the the like war veteran. Terry. Terry yeah. struck My me. Boy. I know, I know, but he has. That's a really fun guess. That is a fun guess. He has two. Like scenes where he says, or it might actually be the same scene where he's talking to uh, Suki, and he <laughs> says, she says something like, "You know, you're you're so um, you're so pure." Like, yeah, casual, at or, the engagement party, she's like, "You're so sweet. I know exactly what to expect yeah. from you." Yeah, and he yeah, says yeah. like, "Ah, oh, well, you don't know everything." Mm-hmm. And then later, she's talking about like you know people that have died, and he's like, "Yeah, I miss the people who died too." And the like surface level meaning could mean the the soldiers that fell in battle, but there's also the like women murdered yeah the reason that that also strikes me with the women is that there seems to be some sort of fetishization like in the flashbacks it looks as though the hands are kind of like caressing them things of that nature Mm. so there seems to be something i mean obviously about it being women about them being fang bangers but there yeah there's something i don't know if it's the purity aspect or the impureness of it all but Yeah, something there. So that was my first guess. I love that you picked up on that because we won't do a full segment on it. But that is a little thing in the book where it is not included in the series. But many of the victims are raped as well as strangled. So there is definitely a a fetishization of that. Damn. 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 (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I actually probably wasn't going to mention it because it's quite upsetting. Well, now I have to go back. And now we have to redo the content warnings. Uh, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> a content warning for our listeners. <laughs> I forgot one. <laughs> okay. So we talked about your predictions for the mm-hmm. killer. We talked about your experience listening along. Have you had favorite moments from season one that really stood out to you or characters you really connected with? Mm-hmm. All across the board, Lafayette is hands down my favorite. Nelson is unbelievable as Excellent that performance. You know, there's one of those, uh, I've talked to a writer about like, you know, what makes your favorite actor to work with. And what they always say is that when the actor comes in with such a clear vision of this character, it's, it makes my job then writing for the character far easier because I start to know how this character would respond to situations and can kind of like serve the ball up for this actor to spike it down. Mm. 
so you have that scene, you know, like the, the AIDS burger, things like that, that are just so unbelievable. We'll talk about it later, but there's an amazing moment with him and Finch. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we can talk about it now if you want, but <sighs> yeah, that's one of my favorites in this episode too. Same, I know. same. I was obsessed with that moment. So callers, this is when Lafayette crashes the state Senator Finch's campaign event where he has previously seen him proselytizing about anti-gay and anti-vampire legislation this mm-hmm. man that he has previously been employed by as a sex worker mm-hmm. and approaches him at this event and very covertly blackmails and threatens him i think a moral from this episode is blackmail works because lafayette does it Suki does it to the cop in the precinct blackmail works also don't trust politicians you're mm-hmm. maybe murderer boy but my boy right for vets terry says don't trust politicians all i wrote to that effect was a great american (laughs) (laughs) he says they give him seizures if he listens to them for too long yeah a great american Mm -hmm. also i gotta say as a future state senator myself uh one (laughs) (laughs) oh my god 101 don't mix your escorts and your drug dealers that yeah. is just rookie move because yeah. if one gets mad, they're both mad. Yeah. So callers, if you are Teo's escort, <laughs> his sex worker, or, or his drug his, or his his plug, um, <laughs> please, <laughs> please reach out to us. Thanks you know for who saying you plug. Are. Yeah, no problem. I got called that a lot when I sold drugs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't confidently own that as the white woman that I am, but I did get it. Well just as we're coming to the end, there's only so much that can happen in the next Mm -hmm. episode. As you know, there are many seasons, seven in fact, of this series. Do you have any like thoughts of what might be happening forthcoming in season two, like setups or things that you think are setups? Uh, I mean, to be quite frank, walking into season one, I had no idea where this show was going to go. And it seems what I would define it if I was talking to somebody else is we have an overarching world where we're basing the reality of vampires living in it, especially in Southern United States, kind of taking the place of racism, homophobia, misogyny. Mm-hmm. Obviously those things still exist as well, but I think you know now creating it into one literal facet. But then that's all very much magnified by this singular murder and this event that's going on in Bonton. My guess would be we're going to zoom out a little bit and see the rest of how this world works. So obviously more with the vampiric council or whatever that stuff is, which I also want to jump back to 10 on that for a second at some point. But we've already established that there are shapeshifters. Sam talks about how there's also werewolves. So I assume that's going to play a part at some point. And I would imagine we're going to get to the larger political front because we've seen it on TV. We've now introduced a state senator. I would imagine we're going to start to play a little bit more into politics, especially when it comes to how like the religious front views the murders, things of that nature would be my guess. Nice. I yeah. love that. Picking yeah. up on a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Watch me be completely wrong. <laughs> I don't know. We, we can't say. We can't, can't say. spoil can't it. Say. This is spoiler free. But it's, it's really fun to hear your predictions. Yeah. Because as people revisiting it, I don't even remember 15 years ago when I was watching it for the first time who I thought the killer was or mm-hmm. what I thought was going to happen. I think I thought, I think I thought it was Sam. Why? Because 
even though I was more trustworthy of him back 15 years ago and now re-examining it, I'm like, ooh, I'm getting these like red flags that we discussed like on the date and everything where it's like he's not actually such a good guy. I think because there was so little explained about him and then it was coming out in all these weird ways and it was like shapeshifter men and I I still was like riding hard like OTP it's Bill and Sookie and like yeah no and they for sure plant the breadcrumbs to make you think it's Sam on multiple different occasions yeah and he's revealed he's a shifter but what if there is more he has to reveal yeah he's got he's got pain there's (laughs) There's a lot of red herrings in mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, that's where I also kind of went back and forth with our army vet because part of me was like, this is a great red herring. Yeah. The same way, obviously we'll get to it, but like with Renee and everything being Drew, I think that plays a huge part. And they they have the one scene that he has in this episode on the rewatch, which, you know, I did two watches of this, really started to pick up on a lot of his behavior in that episode because he's the one who suggests to Jason to get her drunk to like Mm -hmm. make sure she's in an inebriated state the night that she ends up getting murdered. Mm. But still there's a part of me that doesn't think it's him. Yeah. But again, there's just a lot of those kind of moments where people are set up so that you're going like, you know, right. Yeah. They're volley. Yeah. Yeah. They're also setting up how Renee is not a good guy more and more progressively, like in this episode too. Yeah. In the last episode, he had the misogynistic monologue in this mm-hmm. one. He's like, Oh, get her drunk. Yeah. Yeah. This is the episode though, that confirms that Jason is not our murderer. We yeah. now know that for sure because he's been a red herring as well. It's like yeah. he's been with all of these women. There was sort of plausible belief that maybe he was responsible for at least some of them, if not all of them. Yeah. This is so heartbreaking, that moment. When he turns himself in specifically? We, yeah, because he, he believes himself to be. Mm. And also, I mean, I've been riding hard against Amy this entire rewatch, but the way her death is depicted is actually so graceful and yeah. beautiful. I forgot. Can we just talk about that for a sec? Cause yeah. I actually, even though I hate Amy now on this rewatch, I was mm-hmm. very fond of her the first time. Same. But in subsequent rewatches, I have realized how obnoxious she is. Right. <laughs> but I still cry every time yeah. when she dies. I think this is so beautifully and so powerfully filmed. Yeah. I think it was well written to give her, it's not like a full redemption, but somewhat of a redemptive arc there with the apology feels very genuine mm-hmm. um, and the making of the dinner and their kind of relationship will probably get into the substance abuse of it all. But there's still something that seems very, yeah, I mean, true about her her desire to kick this addiction which is mm-hmm. what i would imagine it to be is an addiction mm-hmm. um and yeah that last sequence that shot of them like dancing and then her disappearing was i think was exceedingly well done do you want a fun fact about that I sequence love i love a fun fact yeah so that entire sequence with them running in the field mm-hmm. and everything all of that was done with rain towers mm-hmm. because it was a beautiful sunny day and they could not have it be raining so they used fake rain from these giant towers but apparently those towers are super loud like they are crazy Mm. crazy loud so that is why the entire sequence is instrumental because they couldn't have any dialogue or anything the sound would not have been able to pick it up Hmm. wow Mm -hmm. i love that there's no dialogue between them i Mm -hmm. mean it's such a connective like 
and kinetic experience that they're having. It's also wild too the whole situation because like before we saw the like lights and sparks happening between them as they were like touching each other and feeling each other in episodes past and this one it's just them like holding hands in bed and mm-hmm. they're having this like really deep profound like drug-induced experience yeah it's the first episode that it feels like their connection is genuine and for mm-hmm. real and actually might have a future and yeah. then she's killed and i think like I love when writers do that to us when they give us the bait and switch of like, oh, you finally think this person's gonna be happy? Wapacha! Yeah, that sucks to suck. This is TV. Yeah, it's not TV. It's HBO. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Bye, everybody. Drop your mic. Get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Bye, guys. It's just you two now. (laughs) Thank you so much for your service. Wait, anyway, Teo. Yes. (laughs) You are our guest today, so I want to bring the attention (laughs) back to you and make it less specifically True Blood and more about your experience personally as an actor. Mm -hmm. So you were on The Walking Dead previously. Wait, what? (laughs) And I think it's really interesting that there is... That Gotsmo. Because I'm imagining, like, the rest of this time we're explaining to Teo, like, you were on The Walking Dead. No, like, it's 51st days. I survived a zombie apocalypse and oh. made it home. <laughs> Teo it was the whole play. thing was real. It was play pretend. <laughs> there was nothing pretend about it. Oh, my God. Drag okay. cigarette. Sorry. Anyway, so there are a lot of actors who cross over between both universes. I can think of four off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's... There's more in subsequent seasons that I've forgotten about, but we got Rutina Wesley, Lynn Collins, Michael Raymond James, uh, Andrew Rothenberg. So I'm curious as someone who's been a part of that universe, if you think there's something that is similar in the acting style that is being dictated on both of those shows that makes it a good crossover, or if there's something about the universes themselves that you think lends one well to the other. But I just think it's so interesting that two completely different shows, both hits on different networks, shared so many of the same actors for these projects. Uh, well, yeah, first off, great question. That is actually something I started thinking about because I normally IMDb people when I'm watching something and notice similarly, there's a lot of crossover. I had originally thought because the first season is shot in the South and all of Walking Dead is in the South. And sometimes you do hire local hires and you have those people who are very well established in especially the Georgia community. And I know this one's New Orleans, but a lot of times you'll take from that region. Obviously, though, it moves to L.A. for the rest of the show, right? Yes. The remainder of season one was shot in L.A. This episode was shot in L.A. Oh, interesting. So then my biggest theory is that these actors, so you'd asked, you know, what's common about these kind of shows. I think it's that you take a fantastical concept and ground it in reality. And so you have actors who understand how to both play, you know, true performances as if this is the reality of our world, but also know how to add that gravitas to it because there's, there's a lot of drama here. There's, you know, long pauses, there's things that wouldn't happen in our world. And I think you probably have a lot of actors who walk in there and either are going way too far to the extents of like, you know, slasher horror movie. And you have actors who are coming in and just trying to talk through everything. And that's not this show. And I don't think it's The Walking Dead either. Because Walking Dead first episode is very much like we all understand this is crazy. This is crazy that zombies exist. But now this is our world. We've got to live in it. we got to make our bed. And similarly in uh, True Blood, we very much ground like the TV is talking about politically. What is it like now that vampires exist? 
you know, we have to create a substance for them to subsist on that isn't our blood. So I think there's a lot here where the actors have to treat the circumstances as if they're normal everyday circumstances. And I think those actors probably came in there and just had that kind of performance in spades. Okay, but now my piggyback question off of that. I love it. And I don't think you're going to be expecting this one. Mm. So because there's such a large amount of crossover and the two universes lend to one another so easily, if we're imagining you are as you are today, but in 2008, Mm -hmm. who do you think you would have been cast as on True Blood? Or if you could invent a role in the True Blood universe that you think you're right for, what would it be? Obviously, Jason Stackhouse. We have a very (laughs) similar body type, so... I think that would just lend itself easily. Uh, no, I I don't know. I mean, oh God, again, terrible with names. What's the other friend who's like lives with his mom still? Hoyt. 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 I think a very mini Hoyt would be a possibility. Or, or if you were inventing one for yourself. Like, for instance, Simone, we play this game all the time where we'll watch only murders in the building and make up the parts that Teo could play on it because we want him to be on the next season so badly. Oh, okay. So we're like, you could be Martin Short's long lost biological son. Okay, say that. <laughs> I mean, kind of. What, what were you going to say? Though, no, Simone? I was just like, oh, what if he was a little hoy? <laughs> you do have hoy energy and that's a compliment. That's oh, so you. cute. Mm-hmm. That's precious. But if I were going to cast you in the True Blood universe, I don't know. Okay, I think you would either be like a long lost relation of maybe Sam's come to work at Merlot's. Sure. Or maybe you would be like, I think actually if I were like to insert Sebastian Milton into the True Blood mm. universe, you would be like a shitty apprentice of Eric's and you would be like a new vampire training at the bar, bossing everybody around. Ooh. Or, or the son of the like magistrate. <gasps> Ooh, Ooh, that's a good one. That'd be cool. I don't know. There's something about you that feels more like, I don't know what the right word is, but grounded in a way where mm. I would, I would lean towards like Sam shifter, like not undead more shifter mm-hmm. than more vampire? shifter than vampire. That's but funny. I say more vampire than, Oh my like, God. In the Merlot's realm. You put peanut butter in my chocolate. You put chocolate <laughs> in my peanut butter. Sorry, triggering. I know. Um. <laughs> Wait, where would you, now I just like this question. Where would you put yourself Simone? Oh, I don't think I have vampiric energy inherently to me. No, I think you would be working at Merlots. I think I'd be. I, I think you'd be a too. haughty oh, new you. waitress. Oh my God, guys, stop. Are you telling me I'm sexy? <laughs> um, and like mess around with Jason. Okay. For sure. Stop. Dawn 3.0. <laughs> Wait. Okay, guys, you can't see my face, callers, but so profoundly flattered. Um, Thank you. No, I think I have more humane energy than vampiric if anything i would be some some unknown mythical creature likewise a more shifter-esque kind of grounded self as opposed to like cold-blooded yeah they would have to make up something else for you to be yeah i don't know we could come up with something else what's another fantastical creature i can only think of frankenstein because i'm reading frankenstein right now and that's not it but a different supernatural (laughs) creature Uh, I start growing bolts out of my I, neck. I was just gonna say, I just imagine her with two bolts, but like otherwise, <laughs> but nothing like, has changed but about hot me. bolts. Like hot. <laughs> Can you please yeah, like, describe sexy. what hot bolts are? No, hot I, to the touch. No, I cannot. <laughs> Wait, someone asked me. <laughs> All right, let's move it on anyway. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't ask her. <laughs> um, hey, wh- Michelle, what do you see? Michelle, yourself? I know. I- 
I know. I, I know it's not real, but I would want to be in Fantasia. As a vampire or as no, a vampire? No, as, as a human who has been like ginger adjacent. Like yeah. if ginger had a bestie yeah. who was like smart and sassy, I think that would be me. I actually was thinking you could be like a long plant where everybody doesn't think you're a vampire and then it turns out you are. <gasps> where like you're aware of what you come off as so well that you know people that assume that you're mm-hmm. about to get your blood sucked it actually turns out it's the other way around oh yeah, yeah. okay i could see you have a covert I, vampire mm-hmm. yeah covert. Thanks, guys thank you yeah anyway back to teo um, <laughs> so for those who are familiar with the walking dead they will know that you have some episodes plural i don't even think it's just one i think it was multiple that were exceedingly bloody mm-hmm. and obviously this show we kill our second vampire in this episode it's not as bloody as the first one but it's still pretty fucking bloody so as someone who has worked a lot in that type of environment on set and with that amount of blood can you speak to what that experience was like i would love to i can't watch things with blood anymore without thinking about the reality of what that is like for the actors the reality is that blood is the stickiest substance known to humankind Mm. uh like imagine just you got maple syrup on yourself and you didn't wash it off for like you know 30 minutes it's like drying and like it dries quickly too like you have to keep reapplying it it's, it's a lot. And the stuff is sweet as all hell. Like, it's super sweet. So if you get it in your mouth, which inevitably they will, it's a really weird, gross substance. I don't know what the guts are made of on, like, on Walking Dead. If you have to eat it, it's normally, like, prosciutto or something. They also have vegetarian and vegan options. So they are, like, aware of... Wait. I love prosciutto. <laughs> oh, it, it, I chose prosciutto. But keep <laughs> in mind... I fucking love prosciutto. <laughs> Keep in mind, though, it's it's prosciutto covered in that blood. So it's like very sweet, salty prosciutto. And it's you not ever had fig good... jam with prosciutto. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Do I have to get cast on a gory show so I could just I do understand that. It, no, no. It... I'm just here for the cured meats. Yeah. Oh, I just came because I like I like the charcuterie of it all. <laughs> OK, so sorry. They do have multiple options. It's sorry. very sticky. But, I mean, in this case, I don't think anybody's eating the vampire guts. Um, no, I don't believe so. But, again, like, you're talking, I mean, if you look at that thing, that has got to be, like, some liters of that fake stuff. And, I mean, that is getting poured all over that ground. It is, that is some nasty stuff. Yeah. And so, like, also when they're shooting, Amy is wearing a dress and she has a little blood splattering on her neck, but nothing really on the dress. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, okay, like, you don't get anything on this dress. Don't get anything on this dress. Because we're not shooting this thing again. Jason has a white hand towel that he's going to use to clean up stuff. So somebody's setting offset with like 80 more of those because you only got one shot at that. Right. Just this kind of stuff. I was also thinking about when vampires die and it like shoots on him. That's a one take. Mm-hmm. We don't right. have, it doesn't matter how much money you have. We're doing that one time. Yeah. If you don't get it right, that's going to suck because that's a, that's at least a day to reset that. Yeah. That makes logical sense. I would just, I wouldn't think about it because I don't have that perspective. But yeah, that would be too much to be like, okay, and we're going to kill Eddie again. Mm -hmm. And another thing I didn't think about prior to you telling me, you've told me this off the mic, but I want you to say it on the mic about your underwear when you did your bloody (laughs) scene. I, full disclosure, get, I mean, as you mentioned, covered in blood. And I showed up to set for the day that I was going to get like drenched in it. And the, it was like a hair and makeup artist. It was like, oh, this is your big dad. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, hope you brought a spare set of underwear. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, why? And he's like, oh, you're not going to want to go home in that. And I did not fully just, I, I didn't think about the logic that this thing is going to seep through all your clothing, like down to the bone. This underwear was drenched in this blood. And so I took it off and like took it home to like wash it. And it was truly like a piece of cardboard when I got home. But like, did was, you go home commando? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I went home commando. They had given <laughs> me a spare set of um, like gym shorts, but they were obviously way too big for me. So I was driving in a car home in like gym shorts for my dad and uh, got home and got Just in the- swinging in the breeze. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was a very freeing experience. Got home, took the underwear with me into the shower and like psycho ain't got nothing on me. That like shower was running red for like legitimately like 10 minutes and that underwear, I was like wringing it out like four or five times because I didn't want to put it into the washing machine right away. And I think they told me like it washes out really easily, but I was still like, I don't want a pink t-shirt. Do you still own that underwear? I would hope I don't. I mean, I don't want to be wasteful, but like get rid of it oh no i i did continue wearing it if you yes oh. i just mean that's been several years and i would hope that i've oh. since cycled out of it <laughs> sure i mean i put it on my like mantle like framed it <laughs> oh it's wearing it right now yeah. i'm wearing them right now <laughs> it's my it's my good luck underwear oh mm -hmm. getting a little bit more into true blood from the actor's experience mm -hmm. so callers if you're not familiar with this term of co-star you might think co-star is an astrology app or <laughs> when you are sharing the spotlight with somebody neither is true in the world of tv in the world of tv a co-star is a name given to a character who only has maybe one or two lines or just a small small handful of speaking moments in a given episode but i love true blood for having some of the most memorable and fantastic mm. co-stars in this episode we have harley when they go to the pie diner we got pineapple upside <laughs> down pie. Well, I can't do her fucking voice. You know who I'm talking oh, about? Oh, 100. I, I also love that tight shot on her face. It's so funny and just enlivens, ironically, it enlivens how dead her eyes are. It's just like, we got, we got blueberry crumble pie. We got iconic. Colors you can't see, but Simone did a very good impression with the dead eyes. That's really good. But that's one in this episode. Last episode, we had Louisa, the executioner, who had no lines, but still. No lines. Anyway, they, I think it's really difficult, actually, to be a good co-star because you cannot steal the attention from our series regulars. Our focus still has to be on them and their storyline. Mm -hmm. But you are filling out this world and making it more believable and real and full. And as someone who's done that, can you speak to like what the the challenge of being on set to do that job is yeah so i'd say there's there's twofold to it and this is a show that actually as you kind of got at treats their co-stars with a little bit more like love than most shows because the co-star's job is just to help move the scene in the direction it needs to move in you're not going to get any backstory on your character nor are you really going to as the actor have enough space to like what are you going to be like you know this person you know just wasn't loved enough and that's why they're the waitress number two in in this scene whereas here though like you know, Harley is a great example. Like we get exposition on who she is and how dumb she is. And you get to play with that moment. But yeah, a big thing is that you as the co-star come in and your job is just to, you know, you take a character in a law and order episode. You got to be the person that explains why you didn't do it for three seconds. And then they're like, oh, all right, scratch that guy off the list. Your job is just there to help move the plot along. 
Whereas like a guest star or something, especially in something like this as an antagonist, your job is to create a problem for our characters. You're there to be the thing they have to overcome. Or even if you're supporting them, you're still supporting them to overcome it. The co-star, you're just there to like help paint the scene, which I take back the just. That's a really difficult task because you don't have a lot to work with and you just got to slot yourself in. When I was really auditioning for co-stars, my manager would text me after and go like, how did it go? I would just always say it went because at the end of the day, I did the scene the way it's supposed to be done. It comes down to, do I look like the guy? Mm. I, I did what you asked me to do, and now it's just... Do I yeah, you're universe? not even making choices per se because it, that's not your job at that point. Your mm. job is to fit the choices they need for this moment. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can analytically understand how to do that, but it's still going to come down to does casting think you fit this universe and fit this scene? And there's only so much you can do. Whereas, like, the guest star, you can come in with your flavoring to it, and they could go, oh, wow, that wasn't what we were expecting for this part, but actually this is a really interesting way to bring it. And Mm. I think it's a lot harder to do that with co-star. Either as a co-star or a guest star, can you speak to the experience of, like, coming on to a set that is long established or that has its series regulars and not being one of those people and how you immediately mess yourself into the working environment as a day player or whatever you are? I would, um, I, I have not done this, but I would probably liken it to being a kid who transfers to a new school halfway through the year. And you know that everybody else has been at that school for several years. You don't know any of the kids and you're going to the cafeteria for your first period. And so I think that can be very, very difficult. And understandably, a lot of these actors who have been there for years this is this is the day at work. This is nine to five, Monday through Friday. They're not running over to be like, oh my God, you're here for the day. You get the actors who are really good about that kind of stuff, but I, it's not an expectation of mine when I show up. And you got to slot right in. So there's a lot of nerves. You're on a huge set with a ton of new people. There's a hundred plus people here and you're just going to show up and serve the ball back and forth with your series regulars. They all know their characters. They all know their universe. You've got to know slot yourself in. So how do you deal with that pressure? Because that sounds very stressful. Drugs. <laughs> plug. <laughs> I his call plug. my plug. He calls his plug. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I do want to give my flowers to our dear friend, Tyler. This is completely unrelated to <laughs> what we're discussing. <laughs> so anyway, shut the fuck up, Tao. <laughs> no, Tao, no, um, fuck off. <laughs> what you just said inspired me to say this. I saw our dear friend Tyler in the national tour of Frozen last night. He was absolutely incredible. He's been in the show for years at this point. And I was talking to him about what it's like when new people join the cast. And he was saying to me that he makes a point every time someone is new to the cast to take them out for like a one-on-one date, be it dinner or drinks or something. Because he was like, especially when you're in the type of moving machine that a national tour is. A Disney national tour. A Disney national tour at that. It can be seven months and you've been working with someone and you know nothing about them. And he's like, yeah, I just started making that a practice really early on. And I thought that was the sweetest, most wonderful thing I'd ever heard. But speaks to what you just said of like, it is so hard to come in and be a part of the machine, whether that machine is a show that's been running for seven seasons or a tour that's been running for three years. That's a we love you, Tyler. Incredible job. But no, that that. speaks volumes. I think that's an amazing thing. There's also one distinct difference which is when you are going to be there for a while because if you're there for a day or even a week there's also a level of like 
what what are we what are we doing here with this relationship? We're not going to know each other after this. I mean, unless we just really hit it off for whatever reason. But odds are, we're going to be pleasant and cordial, and then you're going to be gone. Because, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, you think about like a guest star. Even if you have, let's say, two episodes, maybe you have total airtime, three, four, five scenes. And what if they're not with the same actor? So who are you really getting to know during that time? Because a lot of time in downtime, you're not like running around base camp to be like, hey, who are you? So I'd say when you get to a longer arc, that's when you might get the let's go out for dinner or like let's get to know each other because we're going to have a lot of time as our characters together. So I want to know you as the actor now. That's very different than a single episode or even a single scene. Mm-hmm. That that to me sounds almost antithetical to what a lot of the culture is at any given like arts program, like theatrical program. I feel like people become a little too precious about themselves and less focused on the work, which is like you're showing up for a day of work. You're Mm -hmm. temping if you're going Mm -hmm. on for a guest spot. And it's like, I am but a cog in this machine and Mm -hmm. I'm making sure the machine runs smoothly for the day and that things get accomplished versus like, I need to be seen and like perceived, you know? Well, this is actually something we've discussed before, Teo, where you've talked about your experience working in theater as an actor, working in film as an actor and have referenced the film and TV environment as being more teamwork oriented. Mm -hmm. Can you speak Mm -hmm. on that for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a team sport. You take theater and for most of the process, weeks, if not months, you are sitting in a space with, all the other actors, the director, maybe a stage manager, but that's about it. You normally meet your production, like the crew that's going to design the set and so on, the first week just so you have a base idea of what their concept is. But that's the last time you see them for a Aww. while. Mm-hmm. And so it's only once you guys have a polished version or a close to polished version that you meet everybody else yeah. and they come in. And a lot of that, it's them kind of fitting around you. Obviously, you have to make some changes for your own performance if lighting is like we just don't have a light there. But for the most part, they're working around you. On camera, I'll never forget, I did um, a thesis film and we got a like 1940s Ford pickup truck and this is like a stick shift, was not working that day. So we had to, like the whole crew had to roll it up a hill. I was in it and we had to jumpstart it and get it ready and we couldn't stall out once for the fear of like we wouldn't get the car started again. We did the shot in three takes Basically, you have the camera on the hood of the car looking in. You have me in the driver's seat. You have another actor who's going to chase the car. And because this is so low budget, the DP, the director of photography, is sitting on the hood of the car and having to manually move two parts of the camera, which is the iris, which is like takes in light because we're going to go from shaded to unshaded. And the focus, the focus puller, what is in focus, what's out of focus while we're moving this car. And I have to drive the car about 20 miles per hour, making this turn on a bend. And the the camera lens is in front of where I can see. So I'm doing this with very little vision. And I have to make it look like I'm looking in front of me while also still understanding my surroundings. We get it on the third take. Everybody loses their mind. Like truly like jumping up and down. We get out of the car and we're all so stoked to watch the take. And I'm ready (laughs) for praise. For people to be like, hey, oh, like you busted that turn so well. It looks like you're looking out the front of the car without it, you know, without looking into the lens. And then they're all freaking out about how good the DP did. Because that was actually, that's who we were lifting up for this shot. He had the hardest job. And so there's kind of a moment where we all switch, depending on what's at play here. There are shots, and like since that lesson, I've talked with people on set 
And one of their compliments to me is, you know, when it's not, when you're not the one with the ball right now, mm-hmm. when this is about, can the DP, can the focus puller get this all in frame? Because there's a lot of movement. Can the sound guy, the boom pole, can he keep moving to where sound needs to go? Can the guy who's um, mastering the sound, can they do it in tandem with everything? And then there's the scenes where it's the close up and they have to be dead quiet because this is the actor's turn. And so there's an element to all that where, you know, I can do my best work, but if the boom pole comes into frame, it doesn't matter. If the boom pole and the focus guy all do their job, but I flub my line, the take doesn't matter. So there's just a sense of we've all got to be on the same wavelength and any one of us could drop the ball. At the exact same time. Mm. That's like it's much more of an orchestra of like different players playing well, at the yeah, same time. Because when you're in a theatrical production, I feel like if one person fucks up, that doesn't mean everybody else is going down. Like, no. you know, no, it's yeah. very possible for the machine to keep moving and you keep going in your individual track. 100%. Well, and you rehearse that thing for weeks, if not months, you get maybe one rehearsal before you do a stumble through before you then bring in the camera department to watch it. And a guy is walking around next to you. And when you stop for a moment, he places gaffer tape on the ground to be like, this is your mark now. We're not changing it because you got to land here when we do this in 10 minutes. So that way the camera picks it up and we're not changing things from this point onward. Oh, I love thinking about those differences. I love watching your face as you process. (laughs) Yeah, because it's something that I don't think about as a viewer of film and TV, because mm-hmm. while I am, while I am trained as an actor, I'm trained in the theatrical discipline, and I have you know done extra work before, but I don't have nearly the depth and of understanding of how film and TV gets made, and so I still have the viewership of just a consumer as opposed, and then maybe watching acting takes versus understanding how the entirety of the sausage gets made and it's really beautiful to think about it is like so symphonic I really love like hearing about that oh yeah and I still feel like I don't have a strong grasp on it at all which is why it's fun to bring you on super fun different (laughs) (laughs) yeah Anyway, before we stray too far away Mm -hmm. from the episode, I just wanted to get a little bit more into both True Blood as a whole and this episode specifically. So Mm -hmm. before we get into this episode specifically, I need to know, as someone who is Swedish, do you feel represented (laughs) by (laughs) Alexander Skorsgård on this program? Uh, Skorsgård? Skorsgård. Skorsgård. I am honored that you bring that up. I don't think there's enough Swedish representation in television. Uh, It's a huge issue for me. When I see a non-Swedish actor playing a Swedish role, I get very turned off by it. Um, (laughs) Because your representation matters? It really does. Nordic, like, (laughs) blue-eyed, blonde-haired people. Especially uh, since you are neither blue-eyed nor (laughs) blonde-haired. Also, Simone, I will watch an episode of True Love with Teo sometimes, and then he will do a full conversation between Stellan and Alexander about Alexander's work in that episode, (laughs) if you want to give us a snippet. Of course. Well, for those of you who don't, no, Stellan Skarsgård, who is uh, best known from Mamma Mia, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and his later work in Chernobyl, uh, <laughs> is Alexander Skarsgård's 
father. Yeah. He's actually also the father of like two other actors, Bill Skarsgård and unfortunately I forget the other Skarsgård. Stellan was also offered a role in True Blood and really? turned it down. I don't no. know which one, but I know he was offered oh, one. Oh, well, that's, that's fun. Yeah, so I'm going to find out which one. Yeah. Alexander, I will not be joining you on the show. It uh, <laughs> is beneath me, but I am very, very happy for your your choices as a young up-and-coming actor. Your American accent needs a lot of work, but you're you're getting there slowly but surely. Uh, father, I'm I think I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting better at the accent every week. Yeah, you said week. That's not a, it's not how Americans sound. They say week. I don't say it well either because I'm Swedish and I will never do an accent. I will always talk my, myself just like Christopher Walken's. Can you do me a favor? <laughs> Can you say part of the crew, part of the ship for me? Part of the crew, part of the ship. <laughs> I'm gonna piss myself. Oh, I don't know why I think that's so funny. I'm sweating. Oh, oh no, oh no. Okay, but getting a little bit into mm-hmm. this episode specifically, no. we have like four big storylines occurring in this episode. We have the making of Jessica. We have what I like to call Drew Detective, where Suki and Suki Sam find out about Drew and Busta Boisso. <laughs> And then we have we meet Marianne. We yeah. got a, a new character coming in, mm-hmm. and we say goodbye to Amy. So let's yeah. start with the making of Jessica. Do you have any like thoughts or impressions on that storyline this episode? First things first. Uh, did this happen to Bill? Like, was he buried and then came back up? I don't remember, but yes, yeah. we did not see it. Got it. Also, the process of making vampires changes a lot <laughs> over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the writers were covering their asses. Bill has a line in this episode where he's like, it's magic. We don't know how it works. Yeah, and literally, like, we're figuring it out. <laughs> and it's, it's like, them being like, I don't know. We don't know how we make vampires. Yeah. We're going to fucking figure it out. So the ritual has changed we did not see bill buried before Mm -hmm. we saw him brought to the brink of death and then feeding on his maker right but we didn't see what happened after that yeah it may change in the future it is what it is yeah Yeah. the other question i had and i'm assuming we might continue establishing this and so what i can't tell is how much is about jessica's age and how much is when you become a vampire there's a certain like youth to you again Mm -hmm. because she seems like a child and since Eric has made vampires before, it seems he has, he knows how to, I mean, be a very rough paternal figure, but knows how to like put a child in place. Yeah. And Bill has no concept of this. Seems like a father in the first week who's like lost sleep and doesn't know how to like yeah. take care of a child. Well, I wasn't planning on going to a segment, but it feels like it feels right here. So Colors, this is an actor prepares where we talk about how the actors on True Blood prepared creatively for their various roles on the show. So Deborah Ann Wool, who plays Jessica, has spoken extensively about her creative process. So originally she was told this was going to be one episode, maybe two arc, and that the role was essentially child baby vampire. So all of the notes in the script and all of the direction was like, whiny crybaby so she really is leaning into this like 
when you are a vampire, you are a baby and a child. So I love that you picked up on that because mm-hmm. that wasn't really done before with Bill's making. And yeah. it seems like something sort of new that we've introduced. We know that Eric sired Pam, who is his progeny, but we haven't seen that process. So this is our first time really seeing the process of making a vampire. And she is very much playing it like I am a baby. And she talks about that scream when she comes out of the ground, like how she developed that and where that came from with her. She was like, I wanted something infantile, but I also wanted it to be really primal. Mm -hmm. And she studied a lot of predatory animals as her like preparation for being a vampire. And something she latched onto in the script was all of their descriptions about how when you're a vampire, you perceive the world differently through your senses. So she's like licking her fingers and licking the blood and touching the trees and doing all this shit because she's playing with the idea of like, I have new senses now that I'm a vampire. That's awesome. Isn't that so cool? That's super cool. Also, they literally buried her alive for that entrance in that scene. That's terrifying. They actually buried her in a hole in the ground. There were like planks of wood holding up the dirt so it wouldn't cave in on her. Mm -hmm. But she talks about how she was down there with like a walkie talkie and a tube coming up through the dirt so she could breathe. (laughs) Can you fucking believe? As someone who's kind of claustrophobic, Mm. that is a nightmare situation. I would never. I would never. No. Holy, holy moly. So if we switch gears to the Drew Detective storyline. So how long has Bill been away doing his vamp stuff? This is where I get really unclear on the timeline. I think it's been only two days because, all right, he left at night. He said goodbye to Sookie in Merlots when they went to the tribunal. Mm-hmm. So Sam sleeps at Sookie's house that night that Bill leaves for the tribunal as a dog. Right. The next night is Arlene's engagement party. Right. And then the next, next night, night is this night, is it not? I see it as Bill says goodbye. The next night is, is the tribunal, tribunal slash engagement party yes making jessica yes making jessica and that night is when he sleeps with her in the ground yes so directly following that is Mm -hmm. when he sleeps in the ground and that is also the day suki wakes up and sees sam sees sam says there's eggs and sausage in the oven yes and then they go to big patty's pies and then it's and then it's that night that it's, Bill comes back. Yeah. So we're talking maybe two days. Three, I think it is maybe three. two, three max. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, but I think she has some very unrealistic expectations of what a male protector should be doing. Yeah. Because he's been gone for two days, which he went out of his way to come to tell you this when like given the stakes, no pun intended. Um, Ooh. Uh, he very well could have just been like, I gotta go. Like the, the vampire cancel is, I can't leave. Yes. Like, like she yeah. knows he is in trouble with the vampire law essentially. And she's like, he's been gone for two days. He doesn't care about me. It's like, no, he's being, he's being sentenced for saving your life and killing another vampire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't really think about those given circumstances with depth, but You're right, because when he comes back and he sees, like, she and Sam are on the couch, like, making out after a day's time. I've been gone two days. Yeah, Yeah. and she's like, (laughs) you left with no no promise of when you were coming back. Curly Pop, it has been 
three days. It has been maybe 72 hours. Okay, anxious attachment style. Listen, mm. calm down. Yeah, it's too much for me. It is too much. Yeah. It's young love. It's first love. I rescind your invitation. Oh, I know. That was rough sauce. Yeah. yeah. Also, she has a line and I wrote it down because I was like, that is that is a doozy of a line to... When Deliver. she hits him over the head and says, you stupid men, because I love that part. <laughs> that is great, too. But no, mine was she has to deliver after she slams the door on him. And Sam is like, you know, whatever's going on. She goes, Sam, my living room is wrecked. I've got a killer, a vampire, a shapeshifter on my plate. Right about now, I'm not thinking about being with anybody. And I'm just like, damn, that is you have to deliver that like deadpan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we don't give Anna Paquin enough credit mm -hmm. for some of the shit she has to say. Yeah. And be, as you said, like so grounded in yes. the reality of this universe that yeah. we believe every fucking word. Oh, wait, sorry. One huge pet peeve in this episode. Yes. Like makes me want to kill myself. Yes. She wears her shoes on the couch. <laughs> They're sitting watching TV right before Bill comes home and her shoes are on. And I'm just like, what godless heathen <laughs> goes into someone's, well, I guess her own home, but like is in your home and wearing your shoes. Teo does point this out every time we watch any TV show or movie where someone is wearing shoes on the couch. But like, not like on the floor. Like they're lying up on the couch with their shoes on it. Like, have you ever done that in anybody's home? Never. I would be appalled with myself if somebody was like, hey, Teo, can you get your fucking <laughs> shoes off my couch? I'd be like, you're completely right. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad at anyone if they called me out for that. I always take my shoes off in someone else's home unless they're a white family and they don't require shoes off in the no, home. We that is white people shit. Yeah, we require shoes off in the but home. But like, even yeah. if you're like chill with shoes in the house, I'm like, I understand shoes on the rug. I understand shoes on the floor. Yeah. I don't understand shoes on the couch, the bed. Oh no. Any space where like, I don't, I, my skin is going to touch this. I don't want dirt. No, I don't <laughs> want dirt. I'll do you one better. I, have a little bit of a problem with outside clothes on my bed. Mm. Oh, I empathize with that. Yeah. I'm I like, struggle with that. Yeah. I'm like, even if you're lying on top of my duvet, mm, mm, yeah. you're in your outside clothes. Mm. Yeah. Don't get on my bed. Don't get on my bed. That's why yeah. I always bring my inside clothes when I go to see people. <laughs> oh my God. You're both fired. Sorry. Oh, we get to meet Marianne this episode. Mm. We do. Oh, she's so hot. <laughs> I love her. I love her. And her kimono t-shirt. How do you feel about her? Mm, I'm fine. You, I'm fine. I'm fine. Anyone else? Thoughts on Marianne? Um, she bails Tara out of jail. She, she bails Tara out of jail. She evil. How do you know? Do you know? She evil. She walked around with a pig, <laughs> naked in the night. Oh, you yeah. recognized her. Yeah, Good on you. I did not the first time I watched pig. this. Yes. So um, she was the naked woman naked in the road. The That's yeah. not a spoiler colors. You could go back and see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and never trust a white woman with a big white house and a red door. That yeah. is just mm. 101. It, Wait, no. I feel like that too, but I couldn't remember if that was referencing a specific movie or like if we have that imagery from somewhere. Is I that Exorcist, White House with Red Door? No, I don't think so because I think that's a townhome. Um, I don't know what it is, but, but there's that, just thing about it. Yeah. That just, it feels very pure, but with the drop of blood. Yes. Um, sure. That mm. just, and there, there's also something about when the guest enters the house, they're kind of left frame 
And when you close the door, you and close she, looking outward. Yes. Oh, so scary. Yeah. Like you're making sure nobody followed you before you do your oh. nefarious deed. Oh, sure. Fucking love her. Mm-hmm. Don't love Letty May not bailing Tara out and kicking her out of the house. Amazing shot in that scene, though. They go to a profile shot of the two of them. Mm-hmm. And Tara's face is being obscured by bars around her head. Like yep. in, oh. on all sides, both yep. behind her and in front of her. Huh. Letty May is actually framed by a door or something that is open and she has access to leave and go whenever she wants. Tara is stuck very much in this very small isolated, not just the prison, but just this between these two bars. Yeah, I How noticed that? that one too. Really That's that. beautiful. Yeah, it's crazy town. That is beautiful. I, I hated the, the Letty May and Tara. I mean, I loved it because it is really impactful and like beautifully done, of course. But yeah, you hate to see it. Oh, my favorite line is, and I do understand being someone who's been around addicts, the idea of like, I can't be around someone who's going to threaten my sobriety. Mm-hmm. But when she's like, oh, I can't have you in my house, Tara's like, you only have a house because of me. Oh, yeah. that line just like ricochets down my spine. It's yeah. so good. Or when Tara's like, I bailed you out of jail. And she's like, maybe you shouldn't have. Mm, and I'm like, what? Yeah. No. yeah. That's not up to you to then be like, how dare you have tried to do me a service? Yeah. yeah. How dare you have not let your mother spend the night yeah. in jail? Yeah. Yeah. Do you to remember what, I guess Tara puts this upon Marianne when they meet and Marianne kind of shrugs and says, I guess that's what you could call me. Tara questions what it is Marianne is. And asks if she's a social baka. I said, uh. <laughs> do you feel represented by Marianne this far as a budding social worker? I mean, she bailed She bailed a black person out of jail who she thought was maybe wrongfully in there. Sh- sure. sure. Sure, sure. Okay, so thus far. I'm like, what about the standing in the Nike with the pig? Oh, that for sure. That's actually part of, that's going to be part of my thesis probably is like mm-hmm. me doing like ritualistic shit with, with pigs. Whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, social worker. Oh, Future social classic worker. clinical social worker. Oh my God, we just, get it. Oh my God. No, but when she said, are you social worker? And then she was like, yeah, I guess so. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Do I have to identify with Marianne in no. any kind of way now? No, she's not licensed. That <laughs> she's girl not Nate been to school. <laughs> okay, and that's misrepresentation. <laughs> okay, so. Because uh, she also asks uh, Marianne, are you religious? Mm. And she laughs and goes, no. And I forget what she says after that. But no, like she says something like nothing against religion or yeah. Yeah, but I was like, devil woman. <laughs> you said devil woman. Mm-hmm. If she's without God, that means she is the devil. I, I said it like Renee. I was like, devil woman. So we'll add that to your season two predictions. Devils. That, that she's a devil woman. She's mm-hmm. a devil woman. All right. Interesting. Let's get toward the end here mm-hmm. let's wrap it up talking about our sweet girl amy mm-hmm. good night oh. sleep well dear princess mm-hmm. i do it's another one of my favorite scene study scenes between her and jason with the fight mm-hmm. when he's like oh, i forget what he calls her he's like yankee and she's like dumb fucking hillbilly i love that i fight. know it was giving like sam shepherd fight to me again mm-hmm. it is very well done and it does set up the payoff very well of like oh maybe there's redemption and like we can see that Amy you know what she's gonna bust through that addiction and they're gonna come together and it is so devastating I completely agree there's there's something that feels very sweet about the whole thing there is something where I'm a little on the fence of like I mean because again it's that one more 
time just before we totally kick it where you're like, I don't know a lot of times where that's like, oh, and then they totally kicked the habit. Well, also, it's such a contrast between when they're having the Sam Shepard fight and she's like, don't say this is all my fault. And then when she's apologizing the next night and she's like, it's all my fault. Yeah. And it feels manipulative. I was going to say, we know that she is a manipulative person. Also, wait, real quick. So she has like, I got one last drop of the blood. And I don't know what the rules are, but like when they killed him, is the blood no longer like kosh? Because there's a ton of that on the floor. Well, he said to get rid of it all. So she's cleaned all that up by now. I guess. I'm just like, well, yeah. She only saved one drop. One drop. Yeah. I just like. No, they had a fuck ton. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if that stuff is still good. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I don't think you want to be open. doing drugs off the floor, Taylor. But if you sell it, if you become <laughs> Listen, the plug. You don't know what lengths people go to. That's true. That is true. People do floor drugs all the time. Mm-hmm. No, my understanding was that she has eradicated all evidence of Eddie. Gotcha. Why she was doing that in her white Merlots t-shirt, I don't understand. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, this bitch is <laughs> going, to going work. through the incinerator and then is going to do an eight hour shift on her feet. Mm-hmm. Where like you probably didn't sleep because you were cleaning up guts and shoving them in your incinerator. I've yes. done plenty of dumb shit before I've gone to work in <laughs> eight fair. hour shift. At That's Merlots. very true. Never at Merlots. <laughs> yeah, at Merlots. <laughs> Specifically at Merlots. Yeah. No, for the record, I've never put someone's guts down a garbage disposal before I've gone to work, but. You know, we all do crazy shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like use acid, you freaking moron. <laughs> Have you not learned anything from the club kids? Thank you. There is a moment musically with Amy and Jason in this episode that I'm really curious if you picked up on. I'm sure you did, maybe subconsciously. Maybe, I don't know. Do you remember in episode seven, Escape from Dragon House, when we first meet Amy and she's talking about like, oh, your music collection is rad. The song mm. she puts on for Jason. Yeah, the song I really like, Sweet Jane by Cowboy Junkies. Exactly. Yeah. Their makeup scene Mm -hmm. in this episode is a different Cowboy Junkies song. They're for providing symmetry and the closing of the circle that she says is so important to her and why they do V for the last time. Damn. Mm -hmm. Callers, uh, you can't see it, but Simone's jaw was literally (laughs) dropped. Damn. Isn't that fucking... Crazy. That's that beautiful. is on Gary Calamar is the guy who does the soundtrack and all the choosing of music for the show. Mm-hmm. I often reference Nathan Barr and how great his music is, which mm-hmm. is also really good with Jessica in this episode. Like the build to all of her vampire stuff is really cool. Yeah. But this was a soundtrack pick that I was like, oh, that's so deep. Damn. Yeah. We're probably wow. one of like 12 people who's noted that, but he is probably really excited. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even, yeah, no, I didn't even clock the song probably because I'm at the lobotomy took <laughs> is probably why. Do you know the name of the song? You know, I do because it's the title of the episode. <gasps> to love is to bury. Anyone who's ever had a heart. <laughs> that's, that's sweet Jane. Gonna turn around and break it. <laughs> Well, folks, I think we made it. We made it. We made it. Good, because I got to (laughs) pee. So we can pause if you need to pee. Wait, what? (laughs) This is live. (laughs) Also, I don't need to pee anymore. (laughs) Oh, nice. Neither do I. Oh, my God. All right. We pissing. (laughs) Let's get into it. What are your hottest moment of the It is time for our hottest moment of the ep, where we make an argument for what is the hottest moment of the episode and why it turns us on. Teo, as our guest, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay, ready? You get one minute. 
All right, so I was a little like I, it was hard for me to kind of find a hottest moment. I didn't it's know. not a very sexy episode. Yeah. Either way, I landed on Amy and Jason. Uh, Wait, sh- no, honey, I have to tell you oh. your time is starting. Oh God, sorry. All right, <laughs> okay, whatever. Your, your time. I, is my time already started? <laughs> your time <laughs> Dang it, starts now. All right, one minute. So uh, the one that I chose is Amy and Jason sharing their last drop of V together. They do it like on the tongue, and I was like, God dang, that's kind of hot. And they're gonna do their thing where they probably don't like actually bone, but like just kind of sit there and touch each other while they're on drugs, and that just seemed kind of cool to me. Oh, that is hot. Yeah. We like that. Right. All right, that was way less than a minute. Good You're for welcome. you. You're welcome. Simone, do you want to stop petting the dog and do your honest moment of the episode? I'm sorry. She just laid herself before me and yes, I said, oh, that's a good girl. That's a good belly on a good girl. All right, so I won't lose contact with her. While <laughs> yeah, this. you keep petting her ears and talk about what turns you on. Your time starts now. I'll go to school on this with my own mental health professional and my own mental health training. But when Eric yells at Jessica and says, sit down and shut up in an episode that is otherwise void of like inherently sexual situations, I went, (laughs) I went, oh, something unlocked, something unlocked. I went, yowza. Callers, you know, I ride for our Swedish boy, our our Swedish delight. Well done, Alexander. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He really did something to me in that moment. And I was like, do I have a kink about this? I don't know. But it was just very hot and commanding. And I love how forceful he is and domineering. And yeah, the wig is still bad, but he's still sexy as hell. You see those arms in that tank top? Come on now. All right, good. With five seconds to spare, the wig is still so bad. The wig is terrible, but yeah, yeah. really what? grating. It grates on me more this watch than yeah. previous watches. Oh yeah, yeah. What's your hottest moment of the episode? Oh my god, yeah, does Michelle. my time start now? Your time starts. Hold on, let me look at my non-existent timer now. Now. <laughs> Amazing. My hottest moment in this episode was also an Eric moment because he provides us the only moments really of sexual reprieve in this episode. Everything else is just coming to a head, getting ready for that season finale. We don't have time for sexy time. We have to. There's a murderer on the loose. There's a murderer on the loose. But it is. Also, Eric, but it is not the moment you said specifically. It is when Bill is trying to convince him to take Jessica and Bill is like, I will owe you a favor. And Eric says, yeah, you will be returning the favor or it's something to that effect. And the idea of Eric like doming Bill did it for me. That's fanfic right there. (laughs) That's fan. I'm going to go write a chapter about that. You're like. I'll Let publi- them kiss. <laughs> publish it on the Instagram. Yeah, do it. I'm sure that callers. Do you want to read <laughs> smutty Bill Eric fanfic? Yes, they do. Yeah, of course they do. These these kids out here. Yeah, they're hungry for smut. I will not <laughs> and, be reading this. And this dog is hungry for pets. She keeps pawing at Simone. Shall we close it out with a song? Sure. What's our song of the day? What music calls to us based off of this episode? Did you guys say the Swedish national anthem? (laughs) All right. (laughs) I mean, something calls to me to sing a song only I know, which is Sweet Jane, the cover done by Cowboy Junkies. I kind of love you singing Sweet Jane because it brings us full circle back to when we met Amy. But Teo and I don't know it. So are you okay singing alone? Oh, my God. A solo? <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> to love is to bury. I'm going to kill Simone after this episode. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦。Thank you so much again, callers, for listening to another episode of Call Me Maker. Be sure to tune in in two weeks for our finale of season one. Be sure to rate and review this episode and give us five stars. And to vote in our poll, what was your hottest moment of the episode? You can find us on Instagram at CallMeMakerPod to DM us your vote as well. And callers, if you want to find Teo outside this podcast, where can they find you, Teo? New York City. <laughs> Oh, you meant like social. On the internet. Uh, yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram with T-T-Rap. That's T-E-E-T-E-E-T-E-E. Yeah, that's, that's how you spell. T-E-E-T-E-E-Rap, R-A-P-P. Or just type in my name. It'll come up. Wow. I'm not good at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs>